Welcome to the Imbalance podcast series, hosted by Brady Technologies, your guide to short-term power markets in Europe and beyond. Hi guys, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Fraser. Hi, Fraser. Cool. How are you guys doing today? Very good, thank you. A very sunny day in London today. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. How's Edinburgh, Murray? It's um, um, sunny. I don't think it's as warm as it is in London, but it's nice to see the sun shining for a change. So you guys apparently have a webinar coming up, uh, which will cover quite a bit of the work you've been doing over the last few months in short-term power trading. Uh, So maybe, Chris, if you give us a rundown of what the webinar will cover. Of course. So um, Brady Technologies has recently been developing our solution to short-term power trading which we call PowerDesk. Um, this allows the trader to visualize all of their positions, risk manage any of their assets out, outputs, and eventually they move into um, quantitative and algorithmic trading. So that we will be giving um, a GB and a Nordic demo and a run-through of our roadmap to a number of our existing customers in April. Cheers. Thank you, Chris. Well, I will definitely be attending. Um, I'm very interested to see what you guys are working on. And if any of our listeners would like to attend, just reach out to Chris Murray or myself and we will forward an invite to you. So a fair amount's been going on in short-term power markets this month. First, I'd like to discuss market prices, followed by the recent GB capacity auctions. Then moving on to National Grid, uh, which is one of the GB TSOs and their new strategic direction. Uh, then the supposed decoupling of the GB grid from the Irish and continental grids and what that means for market prices. And lastly, uh, long-term battery storage. So just to kick off, let's talk about uh, the market. Um, so according to Napsus, uh, in early March, prices for the day ahead uh, hit a peak of £683 per megawatt hour. And this is compared to about six years ago when prices were about £192 per megawatt hour for the same period. This is being labeled as due to Brexit. Uh, a week later, though, uh, due to high winds, prices were pushed all the way down to negative £61. So I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on the markets. Um, do you think this is due to Brexit? Do you think this is just typical market volatility? Or do you guys think it's something else behind this? I'll start on this one, Fraser. I think this is a, it's a really interesting topic to start on on today. Um, I think what you're seeing with the prices is it's the, it's the, the, you're right, there's a number of effects in there. We've got Brexit and the associated decoupling of the mar- of the GB market from the rest of Europe. We've also got one of the side or negative effects of what happens when you t- try to transition to net zero, where we're seeing a lot of the more sort of traditional standard or ther- standard sort of thermal type of generation not being there anymore. So if you're reliant on renewables, then you, you can only have generation if the sun if the sun shines or the wind blows. So if you get those sort of dull, overcast days where it's very, very still, you're not seeing the levels of generation that's required to keep effectively to keep the lights on. So so National Grid then forced to d- dive into the the reserve market and to pick up basically what's available and who's there. So I think that's why we saw the really high prices. Then the, the other side of that is when there's too much renewables, you're having to see National Grid make these curtailments down at negative prices. Okay, thank you. Interesting. So do you think Brexit is the real reason behind this? Or do you think it's really due to just the 
dramatic shift towards renewables. I can I can probably jump in there if that's okay. all right, Murray. Yeah, of course. Um, I think I I I read the articles um, from from Current News. Both both were really well quoted by a uh, market commentator and forecast called Anapsis. Um, and then and again, as we, as we said, decoupling of the interconnector was mentioned. Or sorry, decoupling of the markets was mentioned. Now, um, to to go back and and teach our listeners what what went on here in two thousand and fourteen. The GB market, Great Britain, because that's the way it's traded um, for the island, was coupled to the European markets through the interconnector. And this meant that the day ahead auction that runs in the GB from 2014 through to the end of 2020 um, would allow some of the physical interconnection between the GB markets and the adjacent interconnected European markets to see one another's offers and bids in the price stack. That meant that if the price in the auction was naturally going to clear higher in the GB, power would implicitly flow across the interconnector from, say, the French market into the GB market, and that would slightly lower the GB prices, and it would raise slightly the French prices, but the overall economic welfare of the European state would would be better off because you would be supplying cheaper power to a higher-priced area, so, so it would be a fairer market price. Now, in 2014, when we coupled these markets, it wasn't a revolution because traders were already buying interconnector capacity and scheduling power to be sold from the French market into the GB market and thus harmonizing prices. But this became a lot easier because it happened automatically because the algorithm that ran the auction in the GB market ran at the same time as the one that was running it in the France market and those coupled with one another simultaneously. Now, one of the things about implicitly coupling two auctions is the amount of power that can flow between the two auctions to buy and sell is obviously limited by the physical interconnection. And in both of these instances, the physical interconnection wasn't sufficient to cover the amount of power that would need to flow between the two markets to align them and to have a harmonious single coupled price. So therefore, even if the market was coupled, like it was last year, or if the market's decoupled, you would see price divergence between the GB market and the other's markets. And in both scenarios, you're going to see the interconnector flowing at its capacity to manage the arbitrage. So I think that implicit coupling of auctions is very efficient. But when you have a traded capacity market for interconnections and it's manually traded by traders, it's not 0% efficient. It's still pretty efficient. I think it's a little naivety saying that just because we've decoupled, that the two prices are completely decoupled. If there was such an opportunity, then a hundred of traders would turn up the next day to get the arbitrage and manage the difference between the two markets. So therefore, if we think about the quote you said at the start, Fraser, whereby prices were a lot lower a number of years ago in a similar condition, that was a number of years ago without COVID. That was a number of years ago with a different renewables penetration. That was a number of years ago when coal units were still running. So therefore, I do not think a like-for-like comparison blaming Brexit and decoupling on price spikes is just the answer. I think this, as Murray said, is a result of decarbonized society where the price of low carbon is occasional price spikes. So to follow from that, there's a recent House of Lords subcommittee report that came out which called on the UK government and EU government to work to improve interconnector trading to prevent future higher consumer electricity prices. 
definitely improving access to interconnector trading will increase harmonization. But you have to look and see how many people are already trading the interconnector. If it was one person trading the interconnector, you're not going to have an efficient market. If there's already 100 people trading the interconnector, it's very efficient. It's never going to be quite as efficient as two coupled auctions. But one of the options could be that the GB could look into recoupling to the other markets. It was Brexit that took them out. They could go back in. But what I would point out, Fraser, is this problem was identified in 2014 when the market went um, to to um, coupling. It was identified that now and then the algorithm would fail. And I'll come on to this later when we talk about the different markets. But now and then the algorithm would fail because there might be an IT issue and the markets would decouple because of IT. And there was a, there was a request of what the backup plan was. And I was in the room at the N2AX's market council with the regulator at the time talking about what to do in these events. And no real advice was given by the regulator when I asked them what should they put in place as a contingency plan. Because the other thing that happens is the two UK auctions decouple as well. And so I think the government probably has really not been awake on this for the last six to seven years because this is always going to have to be a problem for the times that the, the the algorithms didn't run because of IT issues. And so looking at it, they should be really thinking is, is it actually inefficient before I change it? Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to see regulators meddling in markets because they think they're broken before they ask themselves the real question, is the market already broken? Cool. Thank you, guys. Uh, well, let's talk about the future um, at the moment. Let's talk about capacity auctions. As uh, most people in the market are well aware, the GB grid recently had their T1 and T4 capacity auctions. Uh, so T1 is for uh, capacity of 2021, 2022. Uh, T4 is 2024 and 2025. Uh, amazingly, the T1 auction this year uh, cleared at £45 per kilowatt per year uh, for 2.3 gigawatts uh, versus last year when it cleared at one pound per kilowatt uh, for roughly about a gigawatt of capacity. The T4 auction also saw increase, uh, increased from 18 pounds per kilowatt uh, per year uh, for 40.8 gigawatts. And this is in comparison to 15.97 pounds uh, per kilowatt uh, for 43.7 gigawatts. So that T1 jump is substantial. And I'd be very interested to hear what your thoughts are on this, guys. Shall I start on this one? So for me, read, reading at this and just seeing what's been going on at the market, obviously we've had this um, sort of the, the COVID effect, which has been known, which we've mentioned previously. I think also in the last year, we've seen a couple of couple of things change regarding sort of your thermals and your nuclear outages. So we saw Callan Energy, who owned Sutton Bridge and Seven Power, which were two pretty big sort of, I think just over a gigawatt of uh, gas fire generation went into administration. So those uh, plants are no, no longer running. Then there was some uncertainty over some forecast nuclear outages. So if you take that into account, along with the fact that there was no coal units received any contracts that just pushed the price up although on the on the, the other side of that it was good to see an increased amount of renewables and um, sort of battery storage and wind receiving contracts compared to what we'd seen in previous years uh, thank you well, thank you Murray. so you think it's entirely down to just the coal um the coal plants not being part of the auction 
I think a bit of that. So Cole taking themselves out, and the the effectively it was almost like four to five gigawatts if you take the nuclear, the coal, and the the gas out of there. So that grid had to effectively cover that to make sure they have enough capacity in in line for for the next year. And what is the speed for um, consumer prices then? So can I, can I jump in there? Yeah. Um, Fraser, the, there's, a, there's a really interesting other bit in there that um, one particular demand-side response provider secured a record 551 megawatts of demand-side response capacity market. And this is where customers have the ability to turn down demand to help the, the capacity of the system rather than generators turning up demand. Now, capacity market contracts for demand-side response are really interesting because you generally see them, and hopefully my, my memory of the capacity market is not too far up there, you, you buy them unproven, or unless you've already got assets that are proven, and then you fill them up with customers, and you demonstrate you can turn down, and you have to turn down in capacity market events. Now, the demand-side response assets that go in the capacity market can be much lower down the voltage, and so that means that it could actually be a customer almost um, down at the retail level or the industrial commercial level can switch down. Now, you asked a question about what does this mean for consumer prices? Well, the capacity market charge is clearly not paid for by a national grid or off-chem or government. It's paid for by a levy that's put on supply called the capacity market supplier charge. And through the winter period, at certain times of the evening, the capacity market supply charge is levied. Um, now, in the days of the original capacity market crisis, when it first launched of £19-ish, the capacity market supplier charge was quite high. It was nearly £100 a megawatt hour during those peak periods. Um, and then as we saw the very low prices, that really fell off. Now, capacity market supplier charge is very interesting because it, it gives you two benefits. It gives you a benefit to creating a turndown service behind the meter because Number one, you might get paid a capacity market charge or contract not to take the power, but also when it's your turn to pay for the capacity market, you've turned down and you won't be paying the capacity market supplier charge either. And so these high prices with a lot of unproven DSR going in could lead to a final, final surge in behind the meter flexibility. And we might actually see a resurgence of the behind the meter battery model to help both benefit from those capacity market payments, but also benefit from the avoidance of having to pay the capacity market supplier charge as well. Uh, that's that's very interesting. So I think this is going to be a sort of a, a watershed moment in the market where we suddenly see a surge of battery assets and other type of assets that we really need to have for um, a more renewable-based grid. Exactly. Those those assets at the kind of customer level were um, were useful. But there was a number of payment schemes they were in, such as the triad scheme or such as the differences in the prices of the red bands of the distribution use of system charge that got softened by a number of um, price regimes that went out there. So people stopped building behind the meter batteries and behind the meter engines. This capacity market price, fingers crossed, will allow the low voltage DSR market to take back off again. Cool. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, Maria. It's fascinating. And I hadn't quite realized how significant that jump in prices was uh, for the future of the uh, GB market. 
Now, this naturally brings us on to our next topic, uh, which is National Grid, um, which is one of the big TSOs in on the GB market in the Isle of Britain. And they've announced quite a few new strategic plans and a new strategic direction recently. Um, so, firstly, they're purchasing Western Power Distribution, which is one of the GB Good Air's DSOs. Uh, DSO for Wales and West England or parts of it um, and part of that involves divesting from a power and gas DSO in America which covers part of Rhode Island and I'm going to butcher this name and apologize to any of our American listeners but the DSO in America is called the Narragansett Electric Company at the same time, National Grid is moving away from gas distribution um, and is saying it's going to launch a sale of National Grid gas. And lastly, uh, National Grid is also uh, joining Scottish Power and SSE, uh, two other GB Grid TSOs, in challenging Ofgem's plans to cut grid operator earnings. So National Grid really does seem to be doubling down in power and doubling down in the GB Grid. And I know you guys have a long history of working with uh, National Grid in your trading lives. So I'd be really interested to hear what you guys think about this. Yeah, I'll start if that's all right. Um, I thought this was a really, really interesting move by National Grid. It's, um, it's definitely a, street, a strategic move to go into the into the distribution side, which they've not really taken part part in the side. It feels like there's this there's trying to move more into the capitalize on the rising electrification and the sort of anticipated EV revolution that we're going to be seeing over the next sort of 5, 10, 20 years. And obviously the distribution networks are going to be key to this. I think one thing interesting that popped out of the articles was the fact that Western Power Distribution were preparing around 200,000 EV charging points for 2023. So it's actually a really good strategic purchase by National Grid to take to go into that market. Cheers. Thank you, Mary. That's very interesting. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on this one as well? The, so I definitely agree with everything Murray said. The, the only additional thing that came to mind is um, there's a lot of work going on at the moment trying to design market schemes to bring flexibility into the distributed market where people might respond to flexibility requirements and signals at a local level and not a national level. So at the moment, most flexibility is provided at national level and controlled from national grid in their working control room. Um, but I know that trials are going on, sort of such as the Oxford Super Hub or the work done by the trader scheme under phase by Electron and the Orkney Isles, looking at how you can combine a local price signal and a DSO, national price signal. Now, most of the time, that's led from the DSO level, local markets, and it causes imbalance problems in the design of the national market. It's not really being planned in a very top-down way, hence the, the grants are going out to try and design markets to work holistically. It would be interesting to see if a combination of the ESO and the DSO, i.e. national grids, we know them, and Western Power Distribution, would be allowed to work together to create a holistic scheme or whether that would be seen as anti-competitive to the other DSO owners outside of WPD. I would hope the two could work closely together to create a conjoined national and local flexibility market, uh, but that really needs a little bit of thought process by Ofgem as well. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Well, I, for one, am interested to see how National Good evolves itself as an organization over time. 
So moving on to our next topic, uh, which is something we discussed at the beginning, actually. Uh, let's move back to decoupling and the GBU grid. Uh, I'd just like to point out that apparently uh, trading on the Irish GB interconnector uh, has dropped. Uh, utilization has dropped by 150 megawatts on average. And uh, this has been blamed for higher Irish power prices. And the fall has happened since the UK, uh, EU or the Brexit transition period ended uh, at the end of last year. So I'm quite interested to hear you guys. What do you think about this? Is this something we can resolve or uh, what's going to happen in the future? Um, there's there's two things that can happen there. We can we can really look about how how greater access to interconnector trading can be granted, um, and we can do these government inquiries, or we can send a, a little broadcast out to all of the listeners who happen to be sitting on trading desks to say there's a significant value opportunity of cross trading Ireland in the GB markets. It seems that the volume falling off by you said 150 megawatts. So go and trade it. That arbitrage will close and the efficiency will go up because there are people who play in both markets and there are people I know out there looking to enter the Irish market as we speak. So what I understand from your uh, thoughts, Chris, is there's nothing specifically about implicit auctions and the Euphemi algorithm that make the interconnector trading happen. People can still do it, but it needs to. It just it's maybe slightly harder, but it's still very it's still possible to do it. So, so um, under under a coupled market, if there was a a bid to buy power in Ireland at fifty pounds and an offer mm. to sell power in the GB at forty, an available interconnection, it would automatically flow. Yep. Post Euphemia, someone would have to look at the two auctions, and they would have to then buy some interconnected capacity buying one auction and selling the other. So they can still make the money, they can still make the arbitrage, but the key difference between these these two things is it's very efficient if it's done automatically by a single event clearing algorithm. Now, as I said before, if lots of people are trading it and you get good price discovery and buying the interconnected capacity and people are all over the two different auctions, the efficiency goes up and the arbitrage disappears. So you can either go back to an implicitly coupled market where it happens very effectively, or you can ask more people to try making money out of it. And as people look for opportunity, the opportunity disappears as it's oversubscribed. So I would say that it would take the government years to recouple auctions. So they should be looking at incentivizing traders to get involved to reduce the arbitrage. And is there any sort of technical barriers that they're facing um, lack of software or anything like that that would make it easier for them um, once um, we develop the multi-hub version of PowerDesk that will aid and a number of the Brady products out there allow you to trade across different markets so that the market entry should be simple I think the key thing also is um, the energy trader in the energy market has been kicked a bit by the regulator mm -hmm. and the government before um, with all these fat cats and profits, etc., um, markets operate very efficiently. If lots of people get involved, and there's sort of there's lots of reasons to enter, so have a look at the reasons why people have left the market, changed them, and all of the traders will come back into GB Power very quickly and Irish Power, and you'll you'll see better value for customers. Cheers, thanks, Chris. Well, to me, that sounds like there's a quite a bit of money to be made for someone who want to put, wants to put in the extra bit of effort into understanding uh, both markets and understanding how to do the explicit auctions. And that does it for our podcast today, guys. Um, thank you always, Murray, and thank you, Chris. I really love hearing your thoughts. 
you can reach out to Chris at chris.regan at bradyplc.com, uh, Murray at murray.renny at bradyplc.com, and myself at fraser.mcdonald at bradyplc.com. If you would like to join um, Murray and Chris's uh, webinar coming up, and I definitely will be joining, uh, please reach out to one of us and we will send you through an invite. Um, please follow Brady on our LinkedIn page uh, for more great insight and content. And happy trading.